0: Hello, everybody listening to the Life Plus God podcast. You are turned in, tuned in to the Unlearn Faith series with Alyssa Robinson and Pastor Doug Meyer. Hey, hey. So last month, we talked about unlearning temptation leading into the holidays, and now here we are, it's December, and we are trying to unlearn loss.
1: Yeah, that's heavy. Are yeah. we ready for this today? Um, I don't even know what that no. means. No, <laughs> because most of the time when people have lost, nobody gave them a heads up. Sometimes, but not always.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about and leave space for. So, the way that this uh, podcast series works with Unlearned Faith is in the U version app, uh, we pick out a devotion that we dig into, and. Uh, we are in the middle of a devotion called Seeing Beautiful Again. And it is all about being able to see beautiful after you've gone through a loss and are experiencing grief. And so typically in this series, we are going day by day through this devotion. Uh, There's a link to this devotion in the episode description. I hope that you'll check it out. But we really just wanted to leave some space for us to have an open-ended conversation about loss. Because I know that uh, Doug and I both have recently experienced loss and there are a lot of members of our community who are going through major earth-shattering loss, uh, unimaginable type stuff. And we are heading into Christmas.
1: Yeah, there's something about December. I think like, I don't know, right before Thanksgiving, Somebody told me once that when the first Hallmark, like feel good commercial comes on, they start this funky feeling because Mm. it's all remembrance, you know, and fairy tale of when grandma's here or not now or husband, wife, sister, brother, whomever. It's a trigger for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. And so um, to be, you know, full transparency, the loss that that I'm going through, continuing to go through is that on November 27th of 2020, my grandmother died. That was the day after Thanksgiving. And so although this is not my first Christmas without her, it is my first Christmas after processing. Because I'll say, like, our Christmas last year as a family, I think we were all still kind of in shock.
1: Sleepwalking kind of. And,
0: uh, I mean, we had moments of sadness. and and But it just, we still were processing all of our emotions. And to this day, a year later, I'm still processing all. All of the emotions. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about sure. the loss you're experiencing?
1: Yeah. So, let's see. Ours kind of started. Ours meaning like so. Wendy's dad died in December of last year, of twenty. <laughs> I have to kind of check myself on dates. My mom died January tenth of twenty one. Um just a week ago, a real good friend of ours uh, died of an overdose. And in between, we all know and love and do life with people who have either experienced it uh, first ring, second ring, third ring, out of their lives. And, um, you know, it's – the word you were using, Mingo, is just intriguing because processing. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think that from the moment you have a loss – of a, what I would call a close-in relation. I think you process it the rest of your life.
0: Yeah, I, I've had conversations, well, a conversation with my dad because um, his brother passed away when he was really young. And one time I remember we were driving in the car and I had never really asked him about his brother before. And I asked the question, you know, when were you able to get through that? Like, when were you, a- when were you um, done working mm. through that? And he paused for a second, so long enough, more than a second, long enough that I thought, oh, maybe he just doesn't want to answer the question. Right. Maybe I shouldn't have asked. And so we just sat in silence for a while. And he was just thinking. And he said, I've never gotten over it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It never goes away.
1: Yeah believe that
0: and um that struck me and i never really understood it and i still won't say i fully understand it because it's very different your 87 year old grandmother passing and you know someone being taken way too early and i
1: think maybe so i i've had some experience with it my dad died 20 years ago when he turned 60 of a heart attack and so that was my first close-in. Before that, my grandparents had all passed, but I didn't have a, a relationship with them like they were a part of my everyday life. They lived far away in Minnesota. I think there has something, our grief level has something to do with how integral that person is woven into the fabric of our lives. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's all sorts of different ways to look at it, but I kind of feel like, you know, there is, for me, like this, this place in my heart that he resides and my mom resides and um, I, I don't know. I don't think it cuts out and goes away. Yeah. I choose for it not to anyway. So.
0: Well, so one of the questions that I had before we, you know, start getting into the devotion, and we might not get through all of the devotion today. We might just decide we want to talk about what we want to talk about, and that's okay. Yeah. Do you remember specifically having conversations about loss growing up being trained in, like, how to go through a loss or anything, anything?
1: Mm-mm. So I have a real clear memory, though, of my my first experience with uh, close end death was coming home from school one day, and my mom was sitting at our kitchen table crying. And, uh, you know, when your mom cries, the world stops. It's yeah. like, whoa, what's going on? And she had just found out that her mother had died who lived in California. So it was the first time I openly or saw a parent openly weep, just, you know, the kind of guttural weeping you do when your parent dies. And uh, some time passed, and then we all got in a car, and we drove to Minnesota, which is where they were from, to go to her funeral. I'd never been to a funeral before. I think I was in about the third grade. And uh, what I I remember, though, is um, kind of being unattended, like dressing up and tagging along. And all of a sudden it was time to go to the funeral. And we're standing in the back of the church. And I look up and uh, there's her casket and it's an open casket. And she's laying there. Duh. And uh, I just freak out. And I start running, and I run all the way back to my other grandparents' house, and nobody came and got me. I guess they decided that was a good and right and safe thing for me to do. And I sat on the porch of my other grandmother's house until everybody got back after the funeral. Mm -hmm. But that even today, I can close my eyes, and I can see my grandmother laying in that casket. And um, (laughs) it's not funny, but there was not – like, I have no – that is frozen. Nobody came and sat me on their lap afterwards and said, wow, that was big and scary. Let's talk about it. I just got to create my own story of all of that. Yeah. You know.
0: Do you wish that someone had? Or do you feel like it was, I don't know, like, because I think that that's a big question for a lot of people, is how do you help children through their first experience of death?
1: Yeah. No, I think it's, um, I think it is more helpful I'll just give you now an, an illustration of like, so when our dad, my dad died, my boys were the same age when I experienced my grandmother's death. And, um, you know, uh, their mom and I were, you know, I mean, it was a shock. he died of a heart attack. So we all load up. We drive to Houston. We do all the things you do. And uh, we were at, a, at the visitation. And um, we're standing there looking at his casket looking at him. And I'm just, you know, overcome. And uh, my boys took my hand and said, here, daddy, pet, pet, grandpa. Mm-hmm. And I just was weird about it and didn't really want to. And I was, they are like, now, this is like the wisdom from young, right? They said, now, daddy, he's going to be kind of cold. I was like, "Okay, oh, okay, cause the stuff that makes him warm, that's what's living with Jesus now. And, of course, I just was weeping. I'm yeah. about to right now. But it just, um, I so admired their courage of standing there. And they had written notes and colored pictures and mm-hmm. stuck them in, you know, grandpa's jacket and stuff. Now, you know, this was years later. So maybe everybody's death, funeral home managers and all that was more relaxed. But to know that they had this ease of being right there with their Grandpa's deceased body, and being able to touch him, you know, that weirds out a lot of adults, touching a dead body.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember when my great grandmother died, I was terrified. That was the first time I saw a dead body cause they did an open casket viewing. And I, mom, my mom leaned in and kissed her on the forehead and I was like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, you can touch her if you want to. And she was trying to encourage me to like mm-hmm. interact. And I was like, oh, uh, no thanks. I'm good. Thanks mom. Yeah. Um, uh, and my sister made the decision when grandmommy died. You know, we did a private viewing. Obviously, it was in the middle of COVID and everything going on. So we did a private viewing. She decided not to bring the kids. I'm wondering if it's because she had a similar mm. <laughs> experience of gran as I did of like, it scared me. Sure. It's, and, you know, they were younger. I was 12. You know, my niece and nephew are seven and four. So it scared me. And um, but what is interesting about the kids Because of COVID, um, we had a funeral service that was extremely small, maybe 10 people, uh, that was actually a graveside service. And then we waited to have the big memorial service until August Mm -hmm. of 2021, um, just to make sure that everything was safe. And so the reaction of the kids at the graveside service, I don't think that they fully got what was going on and sarah and john kept turning to you know my sister and brother-in-law and saying aunt alice is crying aunt Look, is crying. Like, they couldn't, because I'm not a crier. And so, for yeah, them, it's yeah. kind of like when mom cries, the world stops. Sure. When Antalissa cries, the world stops. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> real disconcerting. They were doing Yeah. And so, and they were, and sc- so, and they were yeah. concerned
0: about me. And all of the sweetness came out, you know, of like, we drew a picture for her, like, it's okay, oh. Antalissa, patting you on the shoulder. Fast forward to the memorial service, nine, eight, nine months later little Sarah um, had a complete emotional meltdown Mm -hmm. during that memorial service of crying, realizing she misses grandmommy. Mm -hmm. Like they had a lot of special moments together, and it's not often that a great-grandparent gets to connect on that level with a great-grandchild. And I, I was just thinking, man, that makes total sense, that it takes nine months for a child to even realize she's not coming back.
1: Well, And I think
0: that it hit her all at once because she was inconsolable during that memorial service and just weeping and and falling apart. And um, people thought that, you know, she was supposed to sing at the end. So we had this great idea, all great ideas, you know, Mm -hmm. but uh, of having a great grandchildren's choir sing Jesus Loves Me at the end of Mm -hmm. the service. And uh, so... We have, I think, nine great grandkids. And three of them right away were like, nope, not interested. And we were like, okay, that's fine. And six of them said, yes, we want to do it. And then four out of the six, uh, the morning of, were like, no, we don't want to do it. We're scared. And we were like, that's okay, it's fine. And so then it was just down to Sarah and John. We're going to be, and in the bulletins, we had printed the great grandkids choir. (laughs) And so it was just going to be Sarah and John. And they were, they had practiced, they had both planned on going up there. And then Sarah, Sarah just fell apart during the service Mm. and couldn't do it. And so little four-year-old John was like, well, I'm going to do it. And he went up there and he was the great grandkids Mm. choir singing by himself, Jesus loves me. And I just know, uh, but I also, you know, I need Sarah to know, girl, it is okay. There is nothing wrong with not being able to get Mm. up there and sing a song. And I'm proud of you for taking that time to cry. That sure. you probably yeah. haven't gotten to have as a little seven-year-old processing right. and, what and is death.
1: Well, And, and, like and the you said, permanence of it. So from when great-grandma got, you know, her, her illness got to where it limited her life mm-hmm. to the point of death. And she died. And then how many months later was it?
0: Um, I think it was about eight, nine months later. So I think in that yeah. eight
1: or nine months probably mom and dad and everybody had some chance to process what that all meant yeah. and she matured a little bit. Yeah. And so she was growing too, you know, her brain was expanding and being able to understand all that. And, and like you said, it takes a while to realize, and I think even in adult world, Oh, that person's not coming back. Yeah. You know, I think uh, we think, Oh, did I hear their voice or this or that and the other. And I think it's just the brain adapting mm-hmm. to, you know, that person always had that spot right there and damn it. Now they don't.
0: Well, I mean, it's a year later and I feel like doing this podcast episode, I feel like I'm on the verge of tears. Like it is hard for me to keep talking about it because it really is like when I was on vacation, I, we, we would be out to breakfast and I don't know what, and you know, crying is not my thing. Crying in a public place? Oh,
1: my gosh. Very
0: not my thing.
1: You did not do that, did you? I
0: cried in the middle of Denver, Colorado at a little breakfast place. Something struck me.
1: And I started
0: crying in the middle of breakfast at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And... uh, uh, my partner, Jacob, was like, what, did I do something? Like, what's going on? And I was like, I'm just having some feelings that I don't understand.
1: Oh, <laughs> I think that's kind of sweet in a well, way. yeah. For Jacob, I can imagine him thinking, oh, gosh, okay.
0: But the emotion just comes out of nowhere, yep. and sometimes I don't even know what triggers it. It's just like a little thought that pops into your head and, yep. and yep. all of these the swelling of emotion comes uh, yeah. back over and over and over again. And, and sometimes I'm sitting here wondering, okay, when is that going to stop? Yeah. I would like, cause I would like for it to be a little more predictable of like, maybe not when I'm standing in line at the DMV <laughs> or whatever.
1: <laughs> you know, I think that is one of the, that's a really interesting question. Cause I think um, like for me, it, it comes up, uh, sounds, or songs or, or things that trigger some kind of squishy spot in the heart and brain that are remembrance
0: or chicken and waffles or
1: chicken and waffles. (laughs) exactly. (laughs) I mean, that triggers a lot for me, but, um, like with my mom, you know, uh, even like recipes that Wendy will make that she made that create that smell that creates a stop, a soft spot. And, uh, You know, the one thing I would say is I think it's a good and right and normal, wonderful thing just to let that emotion come up and the tears and, um, I don't know, I always just feel like it's a little holy memorial Mm. for that person, you know?
0: Are you someone who likes to be surrounded by people when you're going through loss and you want that support network or are you someone who's like, I need to withdraw and go into my cave and Mm -hmm. reemerge at some point ready to interact with people?
1: Yeah. That's a good question. Uh, Yes. To all of the above. I think the thing I want more than anything is to be in control because the world doesn't in that moment feel like it's in control. So I want to be able to say, um, people time, people go away time. One of the things that uh, I am prone to do is to kind of be on because in part, that's kind of what we do as pastors, especially when you put us up in front of people. So um, I'm real conscious of the, uh, my vulnerability meter shutting down when I'm on and I feel very uh, naked, so to speak, and I don't like that feeling.
0: Ooh, I can't imagine that pressure of you're experiencing a loss, and everyone thinks as a pastor, you should be fully comforted by God.
1: Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to be kind of uh, like have it all together. Like when I, uh, and I, I even <laughs> am anticipating, I'm helping do um, a service a week from tomorrow. And as I have written some of it out, I've already started crying. And I had that experience a couple of years ago with a, a church member's funeral here. And um, everything in my intellect was saying, you're not supposed to cry right now. You're not supposed to cry right now. You're.
0: Yeah, this isn't about you. Yeah. Don't, yeah. And
1: um, but then uh, it just it sometimes the emotion of our body overrides the false story going on in our head. And my experience has been, it just okay, just give in to it. <laughs> Let it happen, and it's all going to be okay. But, um, you know, I think there is something really private about grieving. And it is, um, so, so like as a pastor, when I'm uh, invited into somebody's story, uh, it feels very sacred. And it creates this kind of kinship that uh, almost is like you're, for a while, you're family. Because people have decided that you are a safe person to be around in their extreme grief. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. And that you'll handle it gently or something. And I take that real seriously. You know, I'm just, it's usually just awe, some, mm-hmm. and it's just very big and heavy.
0: Yeah. I'm very much a shut the world out. Family only. Mm-hmm. Like family yeah. only. And that includes, I am not, um, A person who seeks comfort from a pastor. (laughs) So uh, my first person to go to is not my pastor. No. With stuff like that, and not only that, I don't want to bring the pastor in at any point. (laughs) Like I and
1: well, thanks. You know,
0: well, even my (laughs) friends, for the most part, like I, I really narrow it down to like just family.
1: Sure. I don't think there's anything wrong with that.
0: Yeah, and so. I don't want to talk to anybody about anything until I'm ready. And sometimes that means I'm never going to be ready to talk to you about it. Yeah, And so there were a lot of text messages, you know, sorry everybody who sent me loving, caring text messages after grandmommy passed that I never responded to. Um, But I just, I looked at it and I put it down because I couldn't handle the human interaction.
1: Well, and I think I would invite you to, to, except that that was enough. Yeah. You know, I think there are people who want to, um, oh golly, invite themselves into your grief. Mm -hmm. And it's a weird deal. And I don't know what it's about other than they think somehow vicariously that makes them closer to you or whatever. Well, see,
0: and that's what I wonder about is that I don't think that they're doing that because they're being nosy. I think it's because everybody's frame of reference is through what they would want. Mm -hmm. So like it's when someone is going through a deep grief, I back off. Mm -hmm. I don't reach out. I don't. You give them what you would want. And maybe I hurt their feelings because they're like, Alyssa didn't even reach out to me. But that's because that's what I would want. And I need to do a better job of recognizing, okay, this person is different from me. Maybe they want me to be there. Maybe. But I think that someone who kind of pushes themselves on you is because that's what they wanted when Mm -hmm. they were going through grief and nobody showed up. And they want to be the person that shows up. So I, I want to think it's out of love and care and not nosiness. But we only think about ourselves yeah. <laughs> and what well, we want and project that on th- others.
1: I think when that happens, we all go into a circle of the wagons and we're doing like this emotional protection thing, yeah. right? We're kind of just holding everything close or at bay or whatever. And um, I just try to give people permission. Like if I'm with a family, do what you need to do for you. And, again, this is, you know, there's all sorts of old rules. Like when we sit down and plan, and we're going to do this this afternoon, a memorial service, I say to families, there aren't rules. You know, whatever you think we have to do, make it be that it's meaningful to you, not because that's how they did it at your grandmother's service or your great-grandmother's or somewhere online you read every funeral, you're supposed to do this, that, or the other. That's ridiculous. No, you're not. So,
0: Well, and let me tell you, the memorial completely caught me off guard. Like, it... So I don't know why in my head. So I told you I'm kind of a withdrawing person and I want to experience my emotions by myself. So I had it in my head that the memorial, I am giving my reflections. I go up, I give my reflections. I'm done, I go home.
1: Mm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then-
1: How nice and clean and know. And, and then up. I'm
0: expected, I realize, and I don't know why I never thought about it until the moment that we were being- dismissed from the service holy crap, I have to go out there and talk to people now. Mm. Everybody wants to come up and talk to me and say, oh, your reflections were so beautiful. Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I just have to have this receiving line of people.
1: Yeah. And yep. so
0: when little Sarah was breaking down at the end of the service, I grabbed her and I was like, do you want to just sit in here? And we can we can wait in here and we can take as long as you want. And I was like, please say you want to stay in here and I'll stay in here with <laughs> you because be I am- don't want to go out there. And she was, like, brave little girl. She was like, no, I'm ready. We can go out there. I was like, are you sure? Take your time. <laughs> You're like, on emotions no, need to be processed. No, we're not
1: really ready. <laughs> you, I need you to be my emotional cover right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs>
0: but, like, it it just never occurred to me that I have to play host at the memorial and talk to people. And I, all I wanted to do, because the service was held at the church I work at, I just wanted to go into my office and lock the door and make the rest of my family make excuses for me.
1: Just put a leave me alone sign on the door.
0: All the family comes back to the house. And so you got a family of 25 people hanging out in the living room. And all you want to do is decompress. And now you're entertaining. I mean, my mom is a superhero. Like she Mm. had people living in her house for three days. But I just all of the rigmarole that goes with it caught me. Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't think of it.
1: I think it's a weird deal that our society does to people who are grieving that sometimes then they are hosting and it seems like it makes perfect sense to say, leave a casserole on the porch and go away. <laughs>
0: yeah. Go get a hotel room. <laughs> yeah,
1: And, uh, like Not I was to decide- offend
0: any family who might be listening, who stayed with my yeah. parents.
1: Yeah. But mm-hmm. She loves y'all. Yeah. So, um, Like, during COVID, we had a couple of services here in which, in managing exposure and contact, we had the families just walk out, right? No receiving line, no punching cookies and all that mess. And um, it felt kind of good. Yeah. You know, I haven't talked to any of them afterwards. Like, some, it all depends, I think, on the story. And some people want to be hugged and held and and told, Mm -hmm. I love you, I care about you other people want you to just stay the f away other people um it is a celebration of life in such that they're able to to gather and find strength in getting together and and recalling stories uh but you're right it's hard to there's not a swat that says you know everybody needs to do it this way um and culturally we still we just stumble all over it yeah because i think okay
0: Well, and I, what I really wanted to do was just be selfish and go home after it was all done. What would have happened if
1: you had, what would have been the worst? I would have
0: felt terrible about it. I would have felt terrible because I love my mom and my sister so much. And the thought of leaving them on their own,
1: oh like you had bailed on them. Like I bailed on
0: them and they have to stay behind and host everybody and they, I'm not helping like, and it's, so it's more about, um, taking care of the people that I love (laughs) Then And so I realized, like, there was some stuff every day, every night with family getting together, dinners, lunches, potlucks, like, Mm. all of this stuff. A lot of exposure and and expectation. mom kept telling me, she was like, you don't have to come to everything. I know, like, you're in Dallas and it's farther away, which I come out here every day for work. It's not like I I don't come out She was trying
1: to give you a pass. She
0: was trying to give me a pass, and I think my family does that because they know that's what I need is I – I am more withdrawing when it comes to things like this and I want to tuck away and not talk to anybody for a while and they know that about me. So I think they were giving me permission to do that but I also felt like that wasn't the right thing for me to do Sure. is to check out and leave them to it.
1: Well, and sometimes what we want isn't what we need. Like maybe even though you wanted to go away is a part of just the whole Again, that word we use, processing of it, was to put yourself in some vulnerable places. Mm -hmm. And um, who knows, you know, maybe the next time and, you know, gosh, we hope that'll be forever from now. But, and you know, in a perfect world, wouldn't it be great if families could say, here's what I need. Here's how I want to process this. And everybody says, "Okay, well, let's see how close we can come to what everybody wants. And there's going to be a little give and take. You know, you're going to get all of what you want in here. But, hey, we really need you to have our back on this and vice versa. And, you know, again, most of us, because we just don't have the emotional wherewithal to do it, we just plow through it and clean up the mess afterwards.
0: So what are some of the, so when we were getting into the personality and the differences in the way we handle things, th- that's what was leading into this question. What are some of the unhelpful things that yeah, people, people have said? said to you? Yeah.
1: Well, there's a whole list of them. And, and what I what I have to, like, first I'll react and just, I'll judge them and, and call them names and say how stupid they are.
0: Never to their face, though. All no, to Wendy. no, no, always, <laughs> always
1: behind their back in a loving way. But I think people are trying to say something that either they've heard, so it's just pass it on like, you know, uh, I don't know, Facebook theology or whatever, or they were told, and I want to believe that they don't really think about how silly that sounds or really how, you know, um, gosh, let's, you know, the one that is a big one and, and some of it is just sense making. They're trying to figure out, okay, why did this happen? Well, uh, God gets the blame for a lot of it. Oh, that was, you know, it's just so hard to understand God's will. Well, so what that means is your loved one, uh, God's picked that your loved one would die. And I don't, I don't jive with that in any way, shape or form. But um, so people expand that. There is some really, I think, unhealthy theology around. There is some uh, stuff that I think has been uh, propagated out of funeral home uh, card theology of God needed another flower in His garden. God wanted. God needed. And, you know, it's a God attribute. Some people find that very comforting. I th- I hear. I find it repulsive.
0: Uh, yeah, I was the word infuriating came yeah, to my yeah, mind.
1: Yeah, I, I, I have said, I was told something similar to that once, and I said, well, I don't want anything to do with that God. That's, that's not my God. But um, I think people think that that lets you know that God knew your loved one and knew better than anybody else what was next and needed for their life. And I just don't think that's all God rules. That's not my understanding of God in any way, shape, or form. So anything that attributes your loved one's death to God's will. Or the other one that uh, I think you said you'd heard, like, oh, they're in a better place now. Mm-hmm. Well, so, no, I really think the better place is for them to be here with me at the dinner table. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean this better place? And that all plays off of this kind of heaven theology that we've created about when you die, you go to this magic, you know, heaven place. And again, that is just to comfort us, to make us feel not as bad that we don't have this person in our life anymore. Then you go on to, well, they're not suffering anymore. At least they're not. And, and if you think about it, I think it's just uh, kind of backing into comfort making. Like, again, I want to believe that most people don't sit down and think that through and realize really that's um, that's a hard Probably an emotionally sterile thing to say to somebody Mm. versus, man, this is really horrible. And I can't imagine you going through anything more heartbreaking, and I'm sorry. And then just stop right there. Don't, you don't need to. mm. Yeah,
0: Yeah, the man, that's the one that I heard the most often. At least she's not in pain anymore. At least she's not suffering anymore. And I'll say the only people who are actually allowed to say that are my family, my granddad, my mom, my sister, because we all witnessed the pain firsthand. And so we know how much pain, pain she was in. You don't know. You have no idea. And how dare you make me feel guilty that I still want her here, <laughs> even yeah. though she was in
1: pain. People say stupid things. Yeah. And I think, again, it's just hand-me-down theology, and it's something that we heard and we repeat. And when people get called out, I hope that you know maybe even people who are listening to this are going to go, Oh, I'm not ever going to say those stupid yeah. things again.
0: Oh, let me tell you another one that doesn't apply to very many people. Uh, but a conversation that I had immediately after her memorial uh, with someone who felt, I don't know, like w- the, the amount of arrogance this person had to feel like they could say this to me. Uh, started asking, hmm, what did, in a very judgmental tone, what did your grandmother think about your tattoos? And I was like, she loved them. And she said, well, really? Because you know that those are forever, right? Like, what if you regret them? And I'm like, this is the day? This is the day <laughs> that you're going to have a conversation with me? And first of all, you're going to introduce the thought that your grandmother was disappointed in you for having tattoos. <laughs> and second, you're going to tell me, you know those are forever, right? What? I had are no you idea. Serious? Nobody told me. <laughs> what if you regret oh, them someday? And I'm like, uh, I, I just celebrated the life of my grandmother. And like, this is the conversation you want to <laughs> have with me, lady, I just met for the first time.
1: You to say, you've got really bad timing, lady. Yeah. And matter of fact, I don't know you well enough to even let you be this, you know, uh, personal with me, this intimate with me. And I don't know. What'd you do? Did you just smile and walk away? No,
0: I, I, well, you know, that's not really my style. No, so. I know. So <laughs> I told her, I was like, she loved them. She thought they were great. She mm. told me, she when she saw my snake tattoo for the first time, she said, that t- t- tattoo's going to get you a man. <laughs> and she was always supportive of me. And yeah, she's yeah. the most amazing woman. And she, I, she was the first person I told, well, except for the first one, but the other See, one. See,
1: I would have done something really super ordinary, like, oh, you never saw great grandma's smoke tattoo?
0: Yeah. <laughs> but it's just things like we that. We went together like, and got them. Yeah, that's not really a platitude, I would say. <laughs> like, not a lot of other people maybe experience that question. But like, why bring? Just pay attention to the things that you're talking about on that day, on any day. It, mind your business. What's that
1: <laughs> phrase? Watch the room, feel the room, or whatever. Like, just
0: read the room. Read
1: the room. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I knew it was close. It was one of those words. Uh, again, you know, people are there. They're kind of. They don't know what to do with themselves. We don't. And just so, if you're going to listen to this, make a note to yourself. Go to somebody's memorial service or wake or visitation. Just be present. Tell them I care about you and then leave. You don't need to do anything else. You don't need to make it all good. You don't need to, like, say a stupid joke or something that will lighten the mood. Their heart's broken. You're not going to fix it. Hug them and leave. Yeah. That's my new rule. Hug and leave. Yeah. What about this devotion? What do we want to get into this? You ready? She,
0: I was just about to apologize for anyone listening who are like, I did the devotion this month and y'all get haven't to it, even y'all. talked about it. Well, we
1: had to go on a little trip first. <laughs> we
0: did. So day one, um, she she kind of, so the title of day one is, but how do I get through the next 86,400 seconds? So what is that? I tried, A I, day, I think. Oh. Yeah. Okay. A day. Well, somebody calculate thousand, that. 86,400 seconds in a day. Um, So how do I get through the next day, basically? Well, all right. And one of the the quotes she had in this devotion, which I really liked, um, but I was also confused by, she said, When we love deeply, we hurt deeply. This is why we have to learn how to trust the process of healing. We have to let it ebb and flow around, in, and through us. We have to grant it access to our heart. And that's what you were talking about earlier is just like letting the emotion flow whenever it hits you. But I want to know to you, what does it look like to lean in and trust the process of healing? She said, trust the process of healing. Well, this is new for me. There's no roadmap or blueprint for okay. what the process of healing looks like. Well, I guess is where trust comes in. But
1: <laughs> okay, so I have a, I think this is a great question. So it means you're going to cry one day when you have chicken and waffles. It, the, the process is that it is like um, there was a. Uh, I don't know if she's a sociologist. I'll call her a sociologist. Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross came up with these stages of grief, which are great, but it used to kind of create this image, and y'all aren't going to get this on uh, audio, but that there were steps, right? That it was like, oh, okay, I just did step one of grief, and then step two, and step three, and step four. Nowadays, people have recognized that those are the stages of grief, but it's more like wicky-wacky, you know, spirograph all over the place or whatever. And um, – I make up that this, that this. what's her phrase? Trust the process. The process is one day you're going to feel good, another day you're going to feel like crap. One day you're going to want to eat a lot, drink a lot, whatever, a lot. The next day you're going to say, world, go to hell, leave me alone. That it is a um, slow, incremental baby step walking through to a place you don't even know yet that you're going, but you still just keep going.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that's another thing. So she... This one, I was like, I know this feeling. So she said, loss envelops us with a grief that comes in unpredictable waves. It's hard to know if you're getting better when a string of good days suddenly gives way to an unexpected emotional crash. It's in those moments where I find myself whispering, am I going to feel like this forever? Mm. Is it always going to hurt this much? And that, um, you know, one, I, I will say one of the things that someone said that was really helpful to me and I continue to go back to it, my partner, Jacob, he experienced loss and has experienced loss in his life. Um, and so he knows how to deal, not deal with it, but he knows the feelings that come with it. Sure. And so my partner helped me a lot through this And one of the things that he told me is, you know, when you're feeling these emotions about grandmommy, it's a testament to your love for her. Mm -hmm. And what a beautiful thing that you loved her so much that a year later, you're still crying that she's not here. And um, so that makes me feel grateful when in those moments I'm tearing up and, and it kind of brings in like these bittersweet feelings of like, I miss her so much, but what a beautiful thing that I miss her so much. And, um, how lucky I am to have experienced a love that deep and Absolutely. that lasting. Yeah. Um,
1: see, I think that we, we have this mistaken idea that better means different or, or like, uh, it's going back not, to
0: the way I was before.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think better just means I'm. For, I'm. I have accepted that life is going on, but I am going on differently now. I'm not going to go back to how it was before. I'm going to a new place without that person, and what I get to carry with them, from them, is a, you know memory. I mean, I think that's where. I think God's gift to, to us, and it's not, I mean, some people don't always have good memories of people who are gone, right? But memory is the thing that we hold on to, you know, mm-hmm. the scent, the smell, the dance, the giggle, you know, the sense of humor, the whatever.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that she talks about in in day one that I'm not sure, I mean, I guess I agree with, but I don't know, I haven't fully I don't I don't get it fully. She talks about how seasons of suffering uh God uses that time to build strength in us. And it kind of goes back to you know, you and I have had conversations about I don't believe God does makes bad things happen. I don't believe that God is like plucking lives from the world and deciding who stays and who goes. Um I think that God can make good out of bad situations, and I think that God can help us see good in the world even when we've suffered extreme loss. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on, like, God is strengthening us while we're suffering, while we're mourning?
1: Her thought about, so a long season of suffering resulted in God building a strength in you. Okay, I guess. So I believe that seasons of suffering can result in us being stronger people. Mm-hmm. A lot of people go through long seasons of suffering and become angry, bitter people. Uh-huh. So help me up with that one then. Was that part of the plan? I or did they just not do good on their homework?
0: <sighs> yeah, I think about that a lot. And I, I think it that's... Lovely little buzzword we love to bring up. It has to do with vulnerability. Am I willing to stay open? Because if I'm not willing to stay open, I start to harden and I become bitter and I become a pessimist and I am unwilling to trust and I'm unwilling to move forward and all of these things. I think it's a combination of both in each of us. Like there are times that I feel very open to the world and there are times I can feel myself closing off and I can feel myself hardening and wanting to shut the world out. And I don't think it's because I'm not healing the right way um, I think it's just, what, what day is it? <laughs> sure.
1: yeah. Well, and if you believe the phrase that goes something like this, every, you know, she's doing the best she can with what she knows and what she has in that moment. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of other ways to say that. But if we're all doing the best we can, which, you know, a lot of people enjoy kind of tearing that phrase up, but that means that, like, some of the journeys I go on, I'm not going to learn crap from. Other journeys I'm going to go on and I'm going to, learn a little bit, but, um, I don't know. I just feel like it's this collective that, uh, there's a whole, body, whole bunch of lessons in life. We get to keep repeating and eventually, you know, it's like strengthening a muscle. I hear that mm-hmm. <laughs> you work out and you work out and it gets a little better and a little stronger. And then once you quit using it, it goes away again. So I don't know. I think that those, whatever happens when I move into the next realm it would be interesting if there was like a uh, like a uh, what's it called when you like a d- departing interview. What's that called when like you leave your a,
0: exit interview? My <laughs> exit
1: interview. Thank you. <laughs> I I hope there's a good debrief. Yeah. Uh, or an exit interview where I can say, well, here's what I got right and wrong, and they're like, oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, we've heard that before. Or, yeah. yeah. You got that way wrong, mayor.
0: Well, and I think so. What's interesting about all of this is, you know, my therapist has taught me and I know that there's a lot of deep research that can go into this so I know very little about it but how um, the greatest opportunity for personal growth happens when you're in liminal space that liminal space being I feel lost I don't know what's true I don't know what I believe and because in those moments you're more open to okay What is the point? Like, what does the universe have in store for me? Who is God and what is God doing? And you start asking questions, but as soon as you have the answers, you're not in liminal space anymore and you stop growing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, But (laughs) But we're
0: constantly like in that tension of like, I want answers. Please give me the answers. Okay, I feel like I have an answer now. And I stop growing and I cling on to that answer until at one point I find out the answer I thought I had is not the answer and I enter back into liminal space. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
1: It kind of the image that came to my mind while you were saying all that was like is like a, just imagine kind of a Star Trekian environment in which we uh we go out into this vulnerability space, right? recognizing I don't know what I well I don't know what I don't know but I know enough to know I need to go and seek it Mm -hmm. so I'm going to put myself out into this vulnerable situation we go on a little research mission you know we gather it up and then we go back to the mothership and then sometimes oh my gosh I didn't learn everything I need to learn we go back out there some people have the type of personality that they're always out there. They're always wondering and seeking, right? Mm-hmm. They don't have to re-enter. Some of us need like a little time to shore up and go. <sighs> so yeah, I'm like you. I like I love a good liminal space conversation, but then it's tiring, and I want to take a nap and have mm-hmm. a glass of wine, and and you know, because then also there, I don't want everybody in my liminal space. Mm-hmm. I don't want irritating people.
0: Well, and we went down that path because maybe that liminal space is where strength is building. You're learning all of those things. Uh, So the scripture that they reference in in day one is 1 Peter 5.10. It says, After you have suffered for a little while... The God of all grace, the one who called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself restore, empower, strengthen, and establish you. So, my first question was wait a second, why after I've suffered for a little while, God, like, can't you just like swoop in right away and make me feel restored, empowered, and strengthened and establish me? Like, that would be great.
1: I know, I read that too, and it's like, and it's such a funny little phrase, isn't it? You have suffered for a little while. Yeah. what's a little while and who gets to decide how little a little while is and yeah so maybe uh,
0: but what maybe what it is saying is like hey god recognizes you got to be in that liminal space like you got to feel lost sometimes you have to have doubts you have to have you know and and in one of the days i guess i'll go into day 2 right now yep. she talks about so the way i interpret that scripture is god encourages you, like roll around in that, like get in the dirt and the mud a little bit and experience what life is but then in day two she's like but don't let it lead to doubts
1: and I'm Mm. like wait, why not? What's wrong with doubt?
0: Yeah, what's wrong with doubt? So I think the only note I put on day two was this day made me angry
1: (laughs) Well doubt I think that there are people for whom somebody else doubting is scary and that they're going to lose them out of the Christian faith flock or something. Whereas I find doubt doubt is kind of like a, a muscle that you exercise. And, um, I don't know. I doubt a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's probably some things I wish I'd made a list of things I doubted that I don't doubt anymore. Mm. And, um, because I really have very little figured out. Uh, I don't think it's a long list, but, um, I don't know. I wish I had in front of me all a, a text with all the phrases that doubt is used in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And if you can uh, substitute the word doubt for wonder or question, uh, you know, we, we have added a negative connotation to doubt, right? Like, because mm-hmm. we hold it over and against what we call fact. And so we've decided, well, I doubt X, right? That means I'm going to discredit or I don't believe it or whatever. So Then it feels like this big trauma. Oh my God, you're doubting God. Yeah. Well,
0: and the story that she brought up is like probably one of the more famous stories of Peter denying Jesus three times. And it starts out, this is going to be the Alyssa version of scripture. Okay. It starts out with Peter saying, I would never deny you, Jesus. You're my best friend, BFF forever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then sure enough, Peter is like, I don't know this guy. People Jesus confront who? him and they're like, hey, aren't you like no. that guy that's yeah. been convicted of this crime? Like you're you roll with him. Right. And, G- and Peter's like, no, I don't know him. I don't no, know him. this guy. No, yeah. not at all. And then there's that famous Jesus looks at Peter and is like, told you so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although she says Jesus specifically isn't saying told you so. It's like a knowing, loving, like, I love you. I forgive you. All that. But, um, so she ends with a prayer. She goes through this whole story about, you know, Peter denying Jesus. And she says, prayerfully ask the Lord to reveal any places you've been denying Jesus and to give you relief from your unbelief. And so my thought was, what does denying Jesus have anything to do with my grief? And are you saying that I, if I'm in grief, I'm not believing enough in the promises that God has made? Like maybe kind of that so, is what she's saying. It kind I don't of. Know.
1: It sounds like she's intimating that, but um, you know, again, it, it, there is a theology that says um, you, we should all be strong through all fill in the blank. Girl.
0: But it's so fake. It's not real. Nobody can be that.
1: No. But it's a, it's, so it's an unachievable expectation, right? And, and
0: then we all just pretend to be strong.
1: Well, and then we, uh, we do these things, like she's saying the, fra- the phrase, I think any of those times that you or I would call just living into our humanity and our emotion and all that, she's calling, and in, in which would then be wondering, questioning, doubting, mm-hmm. that we're denying Jesus. That's what I make up. And maybe
0: it's True.
1: Okay, and you know, what can
0: Jesus handle that?
1: And, and well, that was my next question. I said, so "What of it?" Yeah. So, um, like, I I don't know. Can well, that's a whole other day. Peter
0: seemed to do okay.
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah, there's a lot of. Well, I'm sure Jesus would. Yeah, that and that's okay. And that.
1: Jesus handled it. And, and guilt
0: and shame. I'm sure Peter was feeling all the things.
1: And we market those really well in the church. Mm-hmm. To to uh, to uh, manage people's behaviors, right? Yeah. yeah.
0: But you know, I I told you I really I liked her devotion. Like I did too. one, three, four, and five. I was very happy with day two. It just felt icky. It's like I don't understand what connection you're trying to make here. That if I'm grieving, I'm not trusting God enough.
1: It kind of felt like it was. Um, be careful because your grief is going to really be slippery and you don't want it to go there. Uh, so, you know, just watch yourself. Well, I don't know. That, I don't find that very comforting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm All with right, you. let's
0: move on to day three because we don't like day two. No, <laughs>
1: we're going to call her and ask her to explain day two. Um.
0: So day three, there is something that she did that I really liked uh, and she compared accepting loss to baking a cake. And we have to combine the good and the bad to feel whole and complete. She said, so I like to think of grief in terms of baking. Imagine we go to the store to buy all of the ingredients we need to make a cake, but then we feel too tired to mix it all together. Instead, we decide to enjoy the cake one ingredient at a time like a rational, reasonable person. Yeah. The thing is that sometimes we don't like some of the individual ingredients, so we'd rather leave them out. The flour is too dry, leave it out. The sugar, the butter, and the vanilla are all good, leave them in. The eggs are gross when raw, throw them, throw them out. And then our cake would never be made mature and complete, not lacking anything. Um, so I guess I like the analogy because it leaves space for us to say, okay, it's okay to experience the good feelings and the bad feelings and, and put it all together. And something, if we're willing to embrace it and let all of it come as it comes, we'll end up with some yummy cake at the end. Maybe. Aww. Maybe. Um, I feel like that completely contradicts day two, but we're done talking about day two. So let's move on.
1: <laughs> Moving on. So... What I take from that, I guess, is that um, all of the stuff of life, the good and the hard, work together for another creation. Mm. I thought there were some other interesting things that, from week three, I picked up on this, um, and either I read it into it, because I don't remember her exact quote, but just that sorrow and celebration can coexist, Mm. that, um, you know, there's room in how we are made to uh, hold in balance really strong feelings like uh, you know you can have just a horrible no good very bad day and be you know walking away from the graveside of a loved one and still also celebrate the birthday of a three-year-old I mean Mm -hmm. those can that's an okay thing to do and that you know Life is full like that and life is rich like that. And, um, you know, sometimes it kind of pisses us off because we'd rather it be all one or the other.
0: Mm-hmm. But Compartmentalize, please. <laughs> yes. Help
1: me emotionally manage, please. Yeah. Yep, yep. No, so I like that about that. Um, was it in that week that she used the James text? Uh, and I think I quoted it correctly. It says, You learn to endure by having your faith tested. You must learn to endure everything. Uh, that's James 1 two through four yep. and um, you learn to endure by having your faith tested. See again that uses that that language. I of, don't
0: no I don't want to think any grief or loss we're experiencing as a test. I
1: don't either. And enduring means just putting up with and getting through. What if it meant strengthening and getting stronger uh, And who <laughs> does it say do you have that text? Yeah Where does it say you must learn to endure everything?
0: Uh, well, I, maybe it depends on what version. So all I'm right. in the Common English Bible version. I can all switch right. to a different one if we want to test. No, it give us that but one. it says, "My brothers and sisters, think of the various tests you encounter as occasions for joy. After all, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let this endurance complete its work, so that you may be fully mature, complete, and lacking in nothing."
1: Think of the various tests you encounter. So we make an assumption that out of our cultural context, that somebody's in charge of the test. How about if it's just think of the stuff you go through as occasions? I mean, you know, and James decided to use the word test to describe just the stuff of life.
0: Let's look at the message and see. Oh, no, it's not much better. Well, maybe it's a little better because the message I feel like does a good job of bringing forward a more common language. Yeah, yeah. So it says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides you know that under pressure. Your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. So I like the wording of when tests and challenges come at you from all sides Mm -hmm. because it's not like here is a test being put upon you. It's more of like they're all around you. They're coming from every direction and nobody's doing this to you. It's just the world it's we'll not like it. a test
1: on chapter three. It's just uh, the stuff of life. Yeah, I like that. And, and I, I would agree with that. I think I could get my head around that. Oh. Way to go, message.
0: All, All right. right. Day four. or Tomb. Mm. I was very intrigued by her question. It kind of goes back to what we were saying at the beginning of this episode. Uh, There are some people who take loss and grief and turn into hardened, bitter people. And there are some people who really come out the other side, like stronger and more open to the world. And so she asked the question, will we see our dark times as a womb or a tomb? A womb meaning it is nurturing and growing and strengthening and uh, recreating us, transforming us, and the tomb being... It's where we go to die.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that implies we have to make a choice. Whereas I think maybe it's a little bit of both. Um, sometimes I move into a tomb because I just don't want to deal or put the energy into any of it, and eventually it becomes it be kind of my attitude cr- helps create the wombness out of my tomb. Uh, so I think it also implies that we have choice. And so, on this journey of mourning and grieving and loss, that um, we, we find ourselves in places that if, uh, if we so choose, we can curl up and die, mm-hmm. perhaps emotionally, or we can, in our pain, go, this is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab some nurturing from this, I'm going to stay safe for a while, and then I'm going to go out into the world.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, I'm going to call out my bias here because initially I was like, ooh, I really like that question. Dark times is a womb or tomb. But in our original episode, I said one of my biases is I can be a dualistic thinker and it's either the womb or the tomb. (laughs) There's no in between. You're either living or you're dying. Um, And it doesn't have to be be that. It can be, we don't have to choose between one or the other.
1: If we were, or if we're stuck with those choices and we're kind of making up what uh, the author was intending, uh, what I draw from the womb analogy is that eventually it is a place that is life-giving and nurturing. But what we also know, I don't think you can stay in a womb forever, mm-hmm. right? And there are like a occupancy you can't. I mean, like
0: I a, have never been with child, so I mean, I'm well, sure that yeah, all all, all uh, things in wombs must eventually come out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, you cannot stay in the womb forever.
1: All right, I think we're very safe in our limited <laughs> medical knowledge and yeah. making that a fact.
0: <laughs> could we get a doctor in the
1: room? Yes, but <laughs> I'm I'm going to anchor it that you do not stay in there forever. But it is a for the most part, when things go as our bodies, you know, could or should, uh, that that's a good and nurturing and safe place. You grow and you're expelled tombs is where um you know people uh, are laid to rest from whom no future life is expected so one is all about a place to go and grow and nurture to be ready the other is to go and never come back again
0: yeah but let me throw this spice in the
1: pot oh, okay
0: the tomb wasn't the end for jesus
1: Yeah, but you're no Jesus.
0: (laughs) Rude.
1: (laughs) um,
0: Shut that down. I guess I'll put that back on the spice spice rack.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, so, yeah, I think, you know, yeah, there's only one. Because that's
0: what I'm wondering, right, is even if we choose to curl up and be scared and um, embrace the darkness... That doesn't have to be forever either, and maybe it's a little bit harder to get to the light after we've chosen to embrace the darkness, but also that's part of your journey, and God can always get you back sure. to the light and you, if you're open to it, and it doesn't mean you always have to be open to it, but at one point... You have to decide you're open to receiving.
1: Well, it, so life. like she asked the question, what are the consequences of going in each of those directions?
0: Oh, that was my question. I oh, asked question. Okay.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, okay. Because see, I think, I think that's a great follow-up question. Like the consequence could be that I lived in the tomb for a while and was like, Oh, tombs suck. I want out of here. This is dark yeah, and like damp and I smelly. Think of, and-
0: I think of times I've lived in the tomb. Mm-hmm. I lost relationships. I felt disconnected from the world. I had a bad attitude every morning when I woke up. I was not a joy to be around. Like, it, it's not fun mm-hmm. living in the tomb.
1: Yeah, now I go. I, I, but I'm pretty sure if I sat here long enough, I could think of people for whom the loss in their lives, because this is about grief, was so dramatic and traumatic that they gave up. They just moved in the tomb and said. It's safer. I'm safer here. And come what may, this is it.
0: I don't have to go through the trauma of
1: birth. <laughs> True. Wow. Are we at day five? Okay. And I think I captured this from her because I don't, this, I don't think, I, uh, re, I think I wrote it down just like it is. She says, we don't have to be afraid of how he, God, is going to shape our lives. He is the God who somehow makes everything beautiful in its time. Um seeing the beauty in life again will require us to stay moldable by him. Okay. And um So, yeah, I agree with a lot of what she says there's a lot of fear in going down the road of grief and um you know, I guess I uh, translate that into, you know, hang in there. Yeah. God's with you. And, uh, however that appears to you and that at the end, she says, somehow makes everything beautiful in its time. That, uh, this journey is unpredictable. There's no such thing as, uh, closure and well, I think I've got it all figured it out now. Uh, no, no, not really. It's just the journey. and It's going to take a while. And again, that implies destination versus transformation. And I think that, uh, you know, that's an ongoing process. That's not an arrival. So, um, I don't know. I think that, uh, I hope that people have appreciated this safe place to talk about the unfigure outable stuff of loss and grief. Mm-hmm. And that there are some facts that we know to be true. It hurts like hell. And it will not hurt the same amount as hellish every day forever that in time it hurts a little less and that you'll be able to breathe again deeper in time. Um, but it takes time and we're rushed. I think sometimes in our grieving because the people who do life with us need us to move on. Yeah.
0: Cause they and, don't know, they don't know how to continue. And that's actually one of the things that, um, that my partner who, as I mentioned, has experienced loss is really good about is that when one of his friends is going through a loss, he reaches out to them and he says, hey, you're gonna hear from a lot of people in the next three weeks who wanna support you and and be there for you and everything. But he's like, when it's really gonna start hurting is two or three months from now, give me a call because that's when people stop showing up with the casseroles and when people uh, don't ask you how you're doing anymore because we have it. I feel like even when we've been through grief ourselves, like we're like, okay, I don't want to handle your mess right now. Could you just like heal a little faster for me? Mm -hmm. Thanks.
1: Um, I I think we have somehow, and I don't think there was a meeting for this, but an apportioned amount of time that is appropriate for grieving. Yeah. Somebody somewhere has decided, you know, what it's like oh, okay, you're done. You need to move on now.
0: I don't know what that timing is. I know it's definitely less than a year. People want you to be over it. Mm-hmm. Maybe less than six months. People want you to be over it. Mm-hmm. Or at least keep it to yourself.
1: Well, and they ask silly questions. I'm sure you've been asked, like, oh, how you doing? And, and, and then
0: they do the puppy dog eyes. Yeah.
1: And you're supposed to say back a measurement that lets them know that you're progressing. Mm-hmm. Have you picked up on that cue yet? And because it's really not about you when they're asking, it's about yeah. them. Like they want to know, getting better. Can day. I be less yeah. emotionally available for her? I need her to move on now. <laughs> I need us to go get chicken and waffles again.
0: I don't think I do pick up on those cues mm-hmm. because when someone, well, no, I'm dishonest with everybody. I lie. Mm. I lie to everyone, especially if you're you just not create in my the inner answer circle. The, that kind of they're,
1: wraps up the moment. Yeah, oh, they're yeah. like, "Oh, how that. are
0: you doing?" I'm like, "I'm oh, fine. I'm good. Fine." You it, know. It,
1: when you say it real short like that, is that short for, like, get the hell out of my face? Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Taking mental notes. <laughs> I
1: <know>. no, am. <laughs> so, uh,
0: so I want to know, because you and I are kind of, you know, with the theme of unlearning loss, we're breaking all of the stereotypical places that people go to find comfort. Okay. So since we have kind of broken all of those things of like the platitudes and maybe even like places that you would have found comfort in scripture before, like we're unlearning some of those things, where is it that you personally find hope when you're going through loss?
1: So some of that goes back to where I have encounters with with God and how I understand God. So for me, it's nature. It is a lot of seeing everything from a thunderstorm and rain showers, things that are like uh, sensory reminders. Like I said earlier about the beauty of a sunset, cool winds, things that are so sharp. Like um, you might remember this. So uh, the week after we had my mom's funeral, I spent a week in sub-zero weather in Minnesota. Oh, yeah. And it, for me, was very life-giving. Just being out there in this, um, you know, when it's below zero, there is a cold and a crispness that penetrates you that um, was very comforting and was like, yeah, I understand, God. There's a big, you know, there's a big plan here. I'm nowhere, nowhere at all approaching an ability to understand it, but thank you for the reminder that the planet's going to keep moving around. And, um, so, you know, I find comfort in being with people who don't have to make me feel comfortable, <laughs> who can just let me be, you know, a grump or whatever. And, and I appreciate people who use a little bit of a, a sixth sense and go, Hey, you know what, let's just go get a pizza. Cause they know that sometimes food comforts me or, Hey, let's not do anything, but just sit here and watch, you know, a stupid TV show. And who ha- who create an environment that there is a low bar of expectation, but they are very av- uh, available, mm-hmm. and they they recognize that in that space I will probably lean into vulnerability, yeah. and um, but they make it my choice, not their expectation. Oh my gosh,
0: I love those people who are very specific in what they want to give you. It's like, hey, do you want to go watch a stupid movie with me today? As opposed to people that are saying, just let me know if there's anything I can do for you. Yeah. It's like, no.
1: <laughs> That's too hard. I don't think so. That like, becau- I
0: can't wrap my head around what I need. But when I have that friend who's like, hey, we could do this or we could do this or we could do this. Pick from one of those three things and I'll do that with you this weekend. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, these are. Yeah.
1: That's a gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I, and I kind of sometimes chastise people at the end of like a funeral or a graveside. To not say to people hey let me know what you need mm-hmm. because that puts the burden of self care on us and i think in that season other people should be rise to the occasion and be on the lookout mm-hmm. like i said uh, th- th- not long ago i said you know if you think their yard needs mowing go mow their yard yeah you know if you think they're hungry take them food don't make them have to tell you yes i need you to come now and give me food don't just chances are they're going to need it just do
0: it. They'll eat it eventually.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or, just <laughs> or they'll the, give it to somebody or, else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: All right. Well, that was a Did long conversation. Did we get it figured out? Conversation. <laughs> no. No, that's okay.
1: <laughs> just. But um, that's
0: not the point of no, this series. I know. We I know. end with more questions than answers True. every time. But hopefully, uh, if you are experiencing loss right now and you are heading into Christmas, like Doug mm-hmm. and I, wondering how am I going to handle all of this? Um, It's okay. And I hope that that's what you take away from this episode, is that it is okay to not be okay. It is okay to let your feelings emerge in the weird, wacky ways that they do in unexpected times, unexpected places. I will try and practice that with you and just let it happen. Um,
1: It's okay also to take Christmas off this year. Just to say, you know what, we're going to do it way differently. Yeah. Like I would encourage you to make a game plan t- so that you don't wake up and feel like you just got hit by a bus. Mm-hmm. Like go somewhere different. Do something totally that you would never have done. And um, and that's okay. And the other thing you can do, if you live around us, call me. I'll go have a hot chocolate with you or something. And, and uh, you don't even have to talk to me. We'll just drink hot chocolate and just nod. Mm-hmm. Peace out. Because mm-hmm. um, you don't, you know, if you're just in a really crappy, dark, funk, tomb place. I don't. You don't have to do that by yourself. Let somebody else kind of at least sit on the rock with you. Yep.
0: All right. So next month, January, we're in
1: 2022. Da, 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 <laughs> da, da, so da,
0: da. next month we are unlearning jealousy. <gasps> Dang it. it seems I love like, jealousy. I know. It seems like a really good topic for the beginning of the year when mm-hmm. we we're just scrolling through everybody's Instagram posts on their perfect Christmas.
1: Well, um, that or the people who say they're going to go work out and they already have like the beach body and all that, and you know, are fat shaming all the rest of us. So. Yeah.
0: Um, so our reading plan for yep. next month, out but, of you version, is called "Break Free from Envy." This one's a little bit a longer one. It's a six-day <laughs> devotion. So we can do it. We can do it. We can do this. And so, as always, there is a link to that reading plan in the episode description. Uh, so let's unlearn jealousy, but I, well, we're under the topic of jealousy, but the title is break free from envy. I know jealousy and envy are two different things. I think we're just going to cover all of it. So I guess like the strictest definition is like jealousy is... You're afraid of taking something from you that you have, so you're a jealous lover. You're a They describe God as a jealous God, things like that. Like, and then envy is I want what you have. What you have. So they're different, but we don't really do a good job of separating them. No, we use them real interchangeable.
1: It's kind of like, you know, that old metaphor. Like they're both different sides of the same coin.
0: Yeah. So I'm sure we will talk about both jealousy and envy. And maybe even dive into that whole idea of we worship a jealous God, because I've always had questions about that. Wow. Yeah. So I hope that you will join us in January for Unlearn Jealousy. And uh, man, if if you're experiencing loss right now, reach out to us. We can do that with you.
1: Well, amen.